Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. Welcome to everyone to the show. Glad you're here. Been a crazy month, but I can say I'm finally settling in and now we'll be back to Putting out episodes on almost a weekly basis. Um, I say weekly because there was going to be a Sunday in July. July 17th is my birthday. I turned the big 4-0. And I'm going to tr- maybe skip that one. I don't know. I might be able to do might do a podcast before, before the weekend. Uh, just a little quick hitter. Um, but we're back, baby. We're back. That's all that matters. We're, we're it's dingers and dunks. Um, you know, we're gonna the way we're gonna do this is we're gonna have one half of the episode is gonna be about baseball history, and the other half is gonna be uh, about something that happened in basketball history. Um, not just gonna be talking major, about Major League Baseball or just the NBA, but all of baseball and all of basketball. Um, total so. First uh, episode on the on the Sports History Network, so glad the, that has happened as well. Huge shout out to Arnie Chapman for the help on that, and uh, appreciate appreciate it. So let's get a couple get into a couple quick hitters before uh, we get into our topics for the day. Uh, <clears throat> let's start with baseball. I mean, baseball's back in New York, as I think this is only the fourth time. That the Mets and the Yankees have been um, leading their divisions at the same time. And two of those times, the Mets ended up finishing second. So, that could be bad news for Mets fans. Also, it looks like they're on a crash course to be making the World Series against each other. Which would only be the second time that's happened in the history of baseball. Um, And it's always good to have baseball in one of the bigger markets available um having those teams it seems like everybody just pays attention more when it's the teams in the bigger markets than if it's say the twins are having a good year by the way they are or if you're talking about the rockies um you know some of those smaller market teams like that i mean baseball really strives when you got the yankees the mets the cubs the cardinals um the Dodgers all doing good is usually when baseball strives. And I know that ir- irritates a lot of, irritates some people because those are the teams that are throwing the money at, at it. But in reality, that's the reason why people watch. So the Yankees are finally having a lineup that everybody thought that they could be with that lineup. They finally have a lineup that's producing home runs, producing runs, and overall, being the dominant force that everybody thought they could be. 
pitching is better than last year, which is kind of crazy to me because the pitching last year was a top seven in the league uh, pitching staff, and now they're major league leading in multiple things. Let's just take, for instance, last year they were seventh in ERA, third in complete games. They were sixth in Ks. They were sixth in ERA+. plus. Uh, they are seventh in whip. They were fifth in uh, hits per nine, and they were fourth in case per nine. And now you have this year they're they are leading the MLB with a two point seven ERA. They got they're second in ERA plus, which basically takes an account for the stadiums. They're first in WHIP, and they lead the majors in hits per nine, and they're fifth in case per nine. So. Like, the Yankees are just doing it up on that pitching staff, which is kind of crazy that it could even get better. Then you have the Mets that have Polar Bear finally has a team around him. And if y'all don't know, Polar Bear is Pete Alonzo, which I think by far is the coolest nickname of all time. Uh, Dude just crushes balls. I mean, he just crushes it. Sterling Marte is showing out this year as well. Um... The pitching staff isn't healthy, isn't completely healthy because Scherzer's on the 15 and DeGrom's on the 60 day. One, and it looks like DeGrom could be back for the, will be back for the second half. Uh, I just looked at it, you know, a little bit ago and he was, he was making strides, starting to throw a little bit. Um, Scherzer, they're thinking he's going to be back at the normal 15 day mark, but you get DeGrom that second half. That's like making a big free agent acquisition right there. And you throw him in the mix with this rest of this pitching staff, and the NL is going to have no chance. You're going to have DeGrom and Scherzer, and then you throw in Carrasco, and then you got uh, Peterson and Miguel Tyler Miguel that are both, both uh, throwing very well right now. So, Showalter could go with a six-man rotation without any problems. So, I'm glad. So, that looks like it's going to be an exciting time uh, for the next four months in baseball. Um, can't wait to continue to watch that ride. Um, but one little do, one little note, I mean, I'm all over TikTok, and I'm on the sports side of TikTok, obviously. So... I see these videos about guys talking about MLB TV, how they have it, how they can't watch certain teams. I mean, I'm in a market where I can't see six teams. I can't see the White Sox, Twins, Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, or Royals. So I get that. Now, that goes to my point that Major League Baseball needs to do better at reaching a younger audience and be more um, active with social media, player promotions, and open up that broadcast availability more and do less blackouts. I mean, this isn't the 80s or 90s. This isn't the early 2000s when you only could catch a game if it was on TV um, and or you went to the ball game. And now we're living in a very mobile generation where we'd rather watch it. If we can't get to the game, we're always going to try to watch it on our device. Um and if doing so creates a blackout situation, then that's a huge bummer for all MLB fans. Like, and you're not reaching that other market. Like NBA, you can, as long as it's not a te- nationally televised game, you can watch any game you want in the NBA on their 
on their league pass. Same with hockey. You can watch any game on ESPN Plus for hockey. So I think Major League Baseball needs to, I understand they got regional deals out there, but they just need to open it up more to the fan. So that, that I think would be a huge step. And then maybe promote some of your star athletes. I mean, Mike Trout can walk down the street and nobody knows who can even know who he is. I mean, LeBron James can't walk down the street and they're, they're as big as in each sport. So, and then we got the, so then you also have the NBA finals going on right now. Uh, and if you listen to my playoff preview, I picked the Celtics to be in the finals. I got laughed at at work, but Hey, I'll take that heat because guess what? The Celtics are in the finals. I didn't have them winning. Uh, I thought the Suns would be there on the other side and the Celtics would lose in seven, but, um, but Hey, I was half right. And that's all that really matters. Um, I do think the Celtics are going to win this series though. I think that first, I understand golden state's got the second best defense in the league. However, that there's a huge difference between the Celtics defense and the Warriors defense. The Celtics defense is definitely more swarming. The The Warriors defense is more try to keep you in your zone, not really swarming um, type defense. And I think the Celtics have already had the hardest road by far um, making it to the finals. They went through KD and Kyrie. They went through Giannis. They went through Miami, and they had to play Miami in Miami for a Game 7 where Eric Spolstra doesn't lose. I mean, Spolstra doesn't get enough credit as a head coach sometimes, but this is a guy that makes his teams very competitive, has multiple championships, um, and even if he doesn't have a superstar, they're always competitive. So, and then if the Celtics, you know, pull this off, Tatum has to be considered one of the best players right now uh, in the NBA. Him and Jalen Brown have just totally stepped it up. Throw on Marcus Smart, and then who, Al Horford is just bang is just doing it. And it's really and really Horford is it's his last ride, man. Like he's gonna get that chip. So I mean, and I even say that this is probably one of the hardest roads anybody has gone through to win a championship and that includes me even talking about Braun and Jordan and their breakdown of all the things they had to go through so sports are exciting um you got hockey where you got the Avs leaving the Oilers 3-0 and you got the Rangers beating Tampa so the Rangers Colorado Avs you know finals is is on the horizon it looks like which that'd be a fun time now that we are caught up on today's topics, let's talk about with let's well, now that we're talking now we're caught up with today's you know topics today's sports. Let's deal with the dumbest idea ever tried in baseball. It was from 1961 to 1965. The Chicago Cubs had a system that was called the College of Coaches. Okay. Now the College of Coaches, they it was basically an eight man team, eight man head coach roster. Well, not really head coach, but it was eight coaches. No one was really designated the manager. 
No one was really designated. They were designated the head coach, and that's about it. Every every couple weeks, couple you know, two, three, four weeks, they would rotate them through the system. Um, they would start the you know you'd have a, the major league the major league team uh, managers coaches would go down to single A. Single A goes to double A, double A goes to triple A, triple A goes to the major leagues, and they rotate all that through. Now, it's the dumbest idea, and P.K. Wrigley came up with the concept because, so in 1960, Charlie Grimm started off four and like 12, okay? So, he moved, P.K. Wrigley moves Charlie Grimm to the radio booth, takes Lou Boudreaux, who has coaching experience out of the radio booth and puts him as the head, as the manager of the team. He finishes out the 60 season after the 60 season. He puts Lou Boudreaux back in the radio booth. And then the backup catcher L Tappy. That's E L. His first name's L. His last name's Tappy T A P P E. And he was a backup catcher and he convinces Philip Wrigley to what? Uh, do a not allow the incoming manager to bring in his own coaches, and rather he suggested Wrigley bring in eight veterans from the Cubs organization as coaches, four for the minors and four for the Cubs. Tappy believed that if coaches remained the same during inevitable manager. Managerial changes The franchise would still have some consistency And Wrigley liked the idea But he added a twist One of the coaches Should also fill the manager's role So When he announced this experiment Of what he was going to do He Wrigley uh, Argued managers are expendable And I believe there should be relief managers Just like relief pitchers Um, If you want these are quotes that I'm taking right off there, off the Wikipedia, the Wikipedia page about the 61-62 team. Um, however, doing my research on the Cubs back in the day, uh, this program lasted through 65. 61-62 uh, is when they just included the major league level. In 63, 64, and 65, they did not include the major league level in this College of Coaches. But they still did it in the minors, which probably hindered some of the minor leagues making it to the bigs. Also, you had in this time, you had stars on the Cubs of Santo, Williams, Banks, Richie Ashburn for a couple years. Lou Brock was actually involved with the Cubs during this time before he got traded traded to St. Louis in 63, which is by far one of the dumbest trades the Cubs ever made as well. Um, he was batting 340 with the Cubs at one point, had 43 stolen bases. You know, he was doing Lou Brock things in his second year. So you could have paired Lou Brock, Billy Williams, Ron Santo, and Ernie Banks in a lineup. Uh, that should at least get you a couple championships, I would think. Like, you got speed, power, contact, and more power. So, I mean, that's where I would I would have thought they would have done that. So, here they come up with the idea of, you know, we're going to make, have this whole situation happen, um, all because El Tappy, I'm guessing, he wanted to be a head coach because he was actually one of the coaches in this, 
1961, you got uh, your head coaches are VD Hempst. He went ten and twenty-one. Harry Kraft went seven and nine. L. Tappy went forty-two and fifty-four, and then Lou Klein went five and six. Okay, so L. Tappy had the most, most spent the most time in the big leagues as manager, um, but still didn't pan out to success, of course, because why would it? I mean, I don't see this really succeeding either because it sounds like a horrible idea. Um, it did so. Some of the so Ron Santos said at one point as a young player it it was exhausting. Uh, there was an anonymous uh, player that told the Tribune they'd never been on a club with lower morale in his career. Uh, they finished ninth um, in the in the expanded NL. Only the New York Mets, who lost 120 games that year, finished lower. And then they still finished six games behind the second expansion team, the Houston Colt 45s, which who are now the Houston Astros. So, yeah. I mean, wasn't a great idea to begin with, and then you throw this in. Well, then in 63, let's, in 1963, we're going to get even more ridiculous because we're going to throw in an athletic director to coordinate the system because that's what the issue is. We don't have an athletic director to coordinate all this. It's not the fact that we're having coaches with different attitudes, different minds, different schemes coming up and trying to teach different things to these players. That's not the issue. No, the issue is we don't have somebody to coordinate the entire system. So, we're oh, and by the way, we're not going to bring in a baseball guy. Like, why would we bring in a baseball guy that knows baseball? We're not going to do that. So, in 1963, uh, for some stability, he hired Bob Whitlow a former United States Air Force colonel with no baseball experience to fill the post. Um, John Holland still remained the club's general manager. Um, Whitlow was disliked by players for a number of reasons, but the one that really rankled the players is when he improved the tried to improve the batter's right at Wrigley Field by constructing a fence on top of the wall in straightaway center and then allowed Ivy Twine to twine its way up ivy to twine its way up so it had a bigger batter's eye in center field okay now if anybody's seen it has seen wrigley field you already know the walls are eight nine feet high okay and this is also pre-basket by the way the baskets were put in if anybody doesn't know those baskets were put in to keep the drunks from falling onto the field that's why those baskets were put were put there in the first place, okay? <clears throat> because it's Wrigley, and all we do is get drunk. And if you ever want to see a bar fight and a, and a baseball game at the same time, go to Wrigley Field and sit in the bleachers. I'm sure it's a lovely time. So you already have an eight foot, eight nine foot tall wall in center field, and now we're gonna put a taller wall. Like that's not gonna, in which it did serve no purpose because. All it did was cost home runs. So. So, 63, yeah, like I said, 1963, you have an athletic director that has is way out of his, way out of his element. You have, you finally have a head coach in Bob Kennedy. You finally have a winning season. They go 82 and 80. You stick, have him stick around in 64. He goes 76 and 86. So, not too bad. I mean, the team wasn't doing too great anyways. I mean, at this point, they traded away Lou Brock. 
Um, they've lost Richie, Ash- Richie Ashburn. They've only got Santo Williams and Banks is pretty much all they're going, roll, rolling with. At this point, Banks is 10 years into his career. You know, so got that going on. And then 65, you got Bob Kennedy sticking around again. And then he was get, Then he got moved to the front office um, halfway through. And then Luke Klein came over, came up and took care of the rest of it. So another one of those instances with this whole thing was if you weren't a manager, you were put in the front office as well. So if you weren't doing good as a head coach or a manager, then you got moved to the front office. So this whole Cubs organization was in disarray and you had Philip Wrigley running it. PK Wrigley running it. Um, it was just a, the 61 to 65 seasons of the Cubs just as a, is a, it just proves of how inept Cubs management had been, has been over the years. And again, it continues to this day. <clears throat> With our current owners as well. Um, you also... So in 1965, it ended finally. Or the 66 season, I should say. It ended finally when Leo DeRocher was hired as the Cubs manager. And he then obviously did away with it and said, I am the manager and got rid of it. And then he went on to have the worst collapse the Cubs that the has ever happened in baseball in 1969 when the clubs, when the Cubs had a nine and a half game lead in the final month of the season and blew it to the miracle Mets. So that's another plus that the sixties Cubs had is it was a complete show and a bad one at that. But there is one, 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 I believe good thing that came out of this. Uh, Buck O'Neill, um, guy that, you know, got the, he's a Negro league baseball player. He got the Negro league hall of music, uh, Negro league baseball museum started up in Kansas city. Uh, he was a minor league scout. He was a major league scout. He was, um, like guy knows baseball. He came up in the, came up in the Negro leagues. If you don't know know about Buck O'Neill, I will definitely talk about him at some point. Because to me, he's a very intricate part of of baseball, um, with the crossover from Negro leagues to um, with the with the integration of the Negro leagues into Major League Baseball. So he was named the first black coach in the Major Leagues by the Cubs at this time. So he was part of this whole thing from the entire time, sixty one to sixty five. And then he went back to scouting. And then, like, in 88, he went to the Royals and became their Midwest scout and won Midwest Scout of the Year and did all these great things for the Royals. Um, But he was named the first first black coach in Major League Baseball. But he had... The only downside of this was that he never got a chance to manage or coach in-game. Um... But he was still there helping out, you know, where he could. This also led to specialty coaches as well, um, to where you have specialty coaches that show up for minor leagues now. And it kind of like... So, there are a couple positives out of this. You do have more specialties. 
coaches now in Major League Baseball due to this experiment. Granted, there was already a couple teams already doing it. Um, the Orioles, the Dodgers, you know, so, so forth already had had that type of stuff, but this really moved that forward to more of today's standards as well. So there's a couple positives. So maybe it wasn't a complete negative, but it sure in the heck didn't make the Cubs a winning team. That's for sure. Like they all thought it was going to. All right. So yay, go Cubs. Yeah, go Cubs. Now there's our baseball story for the day. Let's get into our basketball story for the day. I mean, this is dingers and dunks, baby. Um, Marvin Bad News Brown, or as I like to call him, Marvin the Marvelous Barnes, or sorry, Marvin the Magnificent, my bad. I like to call him Marvelous because he was flamboyant, but he was the Magnificent. Um, this guy is probably one of my favorite player, ABA players of all time. Um... While doing my research on on Marvin, uh, every article, podcast, or even video I saw started with Marvin Bad News Barnes was so was considered a future Hall of Fame basketball player before he ever graduated from Providence, and then they go on to talk about all the bad things he did. Because I mean, why not? It's easy, right? It's easy to point out a person's flaws. It's easy to point out their missteps it's easy to um really dwell on the negative side of their of their life right i mean granted they do go they do talk about some steps of his career however it always goes back to how he screwed up at some point so i'm gonna so i'm trying to bring a little brightness to yeah this guy had a short career it was five seasons two seasons in the aba three seasons in the NBA. Um, and then he played a season in Italy and then he bounced around the CBA, the continental basketball league for a while or Continental a basketball association, the CBA for a while. But this is, this is really a, a story of how, yeah, he got in trouble as a teenager, overcame it, still went to Providence. Um, made a lot of money at the time for St. Louis would show up to, would miss practice, would show up to games right as the game was starting. Um, and yeah, the ABA would put up with it for a while because it was the ABA and he could, he scored a lot. The NBA did not. I mean, at the time, the I think today the NBA would probably put up with a little bit of it, but not, not like it was then. Um so they really didn't put up with it back then. Um, this is a guy that that was the was could score and rebound as a six eight power forward. He could do it all. He could he shot well from the free throw line. He shot well from uh, the field. He he was just a a legit scorer is what he was. So. So Marvin Barnes was born July 27th, 1952 in Providence and Rhode Island. Um, so, all right, let me, let me give my credits where credits are due before I even start this. 
So all of my information from Marvin Barnes, uh, I credit basketballreference.com for all the stats. And then I did take a few lines from his obituary that I found online as well. Um, because he passed away at, um, in 2014. So just give you a little hindsight of where I'm getting my information from. Uh, so Marvin Barnes, like I said, was born July 27th, 1952 in Providence, Rhode Island. Passed on September 8th, 2014 at 62 years old. Uh, not only was Marvin Barnes a legend on the court, but he was the founder of the Rebound Foundation, Bouncing Back from Adversity. Uh, the, this foundation that he that he founded later in life uh, provided substance abuse, edu- substance abuse education and preventative talks to schools. Um, it was an after-school program as well for at-risk high school boys that educated them about substance abuse, physical fitness and health, and operated summer basketball camps throughout Rhode Island. Marvin played at Central High where he won state titles. And then he went on to play at Providence in his, at his hometown of Providence and would make the NCAA tournaments. Um, and at Providence, he averaged his freshman year 24.8 points and 22.3 rebounds. Sophomore year, he went 21.6 for 15.7. His junior year, he was 18.3 points per game and 19 rebounds. He also... And then his senior year, he went 22-18. and 18, And that was also leading the le- nation in, in rebounds as well. And you got to remember, when he led the, led the nations in rebound, that's when you had UCLA and Bill Walton. And Bill Walton was is by far probably the, one of the arguably best centers of all time. Who just had to have ankle injuries. So after Providence... Marvin Barnes then gets drafted second overall by the 76ers after Bill Walton. Uh, He also got drafted in the ABA in 1973 by Denver with the undergraduate draft. Um, But then Denver sold his rights to the St. Louis. And then St. Louis, so Marvin went on to play for the Spirit of St. Louis um, due to the ability of St. Louis to pay more money, which... Hey, go get your cash, bro. You're only in this game for a short amount of time. Go get your cash. Uh, so Marvin played the last two seasons of the ABA with the St. Louis. With St. Louis. Um, by the way, that's a whole other situation, too, if you guys don't know. The Spirit of St. Louis uh, owners kind of uh, heisted the NBA because they they sold their they said they were going to disfold fold their team. Uh, when the because they weren't one of the teams that the NBA wanted when they when the NBA and the ABA merged merged and so as part of their deal was they wanted two percent of the profits off of any of the TV revenue. Well, at the time the NBA is like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. Well, over time that has now evolved, and in fact the owners just bought them out about five, six years ago, uh, finally just bought them out and they took home $800 million out of that deal for doing absolutely nothing. 
here's a couple 80-year-old guys that just made $800 million off the NBA without having a team because they were smart enough and had lawyers smart enough to see that the NBA was going to have TV ad re- or have TV revenue at some point. Wow. So after the ABA folded, he was uh, drafted by Detroit um, in the dispersal draft. Uh, he played 12 games before he was traded. Info- he was infamously uh, quoted as Marvin ain't here, ain't here to sit on no wood. And why would a guy that's averaging as many points because his two seasons in the ABA he averaged the one second uh he averaged uh 22 points and 12 and a half rebounds in his two seasons in the ABA and then he goes to Detroit and I guess he played. Uh, he played fifty three games with Detroit before he got. Yeah, uh, he played. So then he goes to Detroit and has eighteen point six and nine point two rebounds per game. And then in the seventy seven seventy eight season, he gets traded to Buffalo. So in seventy six seventy seven, he played a full season with Detroit. Um, he's actually considered one of the best shot blockers of all time, um, even though his stats don't show it. But he was probably one of the better shot blockers. Uh, guy could play defense, guy could play offense. So, <coughs> so after Detroit, uh, he gets traded to Buffalo, where he plays 48 games with the Buffalo Braves and averaged 14.8 points per game and 9.1 rebounds per game. Okay. After Buffalo, he then goes to Boston. Um, Averaged 14 points there and eight rebounds, pretty much coming off the bench. At this point, he was a starter for the in the ABA, but then when the NBA when it got moved over to the NBA, he became a bench player. You know, obviously because um, he wasn't doing the right the right things, and I put those in quotations. Um, and then he finished up his NBA career with the San Diego Clippers after Boston. So the Buffalo Braves moved to San Diego. Um, he played one season at Boston, and then he goes and plays for the Clippers. Uh, he played in 20 games that year before they finally cut him, where he had eight points uh, per game and 9.7 rebounds. And here's a fun stat. In the 78, 79, and 79, and 80, he averaged... Six and a half fouls, six and a half personal fouls per 36 minutes. <laughs> I would say he played rough. So, um, so then he goes and plays in Italy for a year, and then he was bouncing around the Continental Basketball Association for a few years. Like I said, during his career, so during his career, he was a first team All American. In 1974, third team in 73. He led the nation in rebounding, like I said, in 74. Um, He was a two-time ABA All-Star. He was an All-Rookie. He was Rookie of the Year. and He was All-ABA. And he's also on the All-ABA team as well. Um, 
Unfortunately, his ABA years are his the best two years of his professional career. And uh, the one the one story I do find a little bit hilarious with it when it comes to Marvin is that he was leaving. They were leaving Louisville after playing the Kentucky Colonels in a playoff game, and they're flying back to St. Louis. He looks at his boarding pass and shows that he's leaving Louisville in Eastern Time. And then arriving in St. Louis in Central Time, but so he's losing an hour, and he's actually leaving, say, like eight a.m. and arriving at seven fifty-nine in St. Louis, and he goes, "I ain't taking no time machine." And then he proceeds to rent a car and drive to St. Louis. <laughs> That's fair. I could see that. That's fair to me. Um. If you had to compare Marvin Barnes to a a player recently, I would say he's a combination of Dennis Rodman. Uh, he has the scoring abilities of T-Mac. Uh, T-Mac could score. Let's not get that wrong. T-Mac could score. So let's not get that twisted. Uh, he just his, his time just got cut short due to injuries. So... Uh, Unfortunately, you know, Barnes's career was cut short as was his life uh due to, by drugs and that's why I think um you know, he was ho- Marvin Barnes was homeless in 1980 in San Diego, California. And then he goes and plays in Italy, plays in the Continental Basketball Association, and then he ends up later in life get, moving back to Providence and then starting his that foundation that he started and he was always known by the people um, that knew him best. Uh, he was a gentle giant with a huge heart. I mean, Marvin tried to do the right things uh, to help others um, when the world just threw him away, when they were done with him. Um, yeah, he had demons. Uh, he he had issues with drug abuse. Uh, he probably had some mental health issues. Um, but... So we should be, uh, I mean, so we should be celebrating Marvin Barnes as a, as a redemption story. Granted it, I mean, he, as a redemption story after what had happened to him. Um, and I get it. Like a lot of the times it's, I know people blame a person for their own situation on themselves, but sometimes their situation is not controllable, controllable by them. It's controlled by outside uh, forces, um, internal demons, you know, stuff, stuff like that. So let's celebrate Marvin Barnes as the player he was that walked to his own beat. And as a person that tried to do the right thing, um, always at, at the end, he tried to do the right thing that brings me. So, um, so again, huge shout out to the sports history network for bringing me along. And let me put out this, you know, for putting me, let me put episodes on their network now. Um, huge shout out to all you fans for sticking with me, even through this month of high, of not really hiatus, but this month of break. This podcast gives me, is my outlet. And I really appreciate everybody listening to it. Um, you can always follow me on TikTok. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitch. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me 
you know, on there's I have a Facebook page for one guy with a mic. So, I mean, you can find me anywhere. You can email me one guy on mic, one guy with a mic at gmail.com. Um, but so, and always, you know, remember that hit the, hit the follow button, hit the subscribe button, ring the bell. That way you're notified whenever we do, ep- I do episodes. Um, and so, so it's great. I love it. I'm glad I'm back juiced up to see where the rest of 2022 gets us. Um, let's, let's, uh, I want to talk about one thing, uh, real quick before I end this. Um, May was mental health awareness month. Um, and in the last two years, it's, mental health has been a huge, a huge issue in this country, uh, with the pandemic, um, with us being, having to shit for a while there, we shut out family members. Um, we couldn't go see them, couldn't see our friends. Um, and mental health should be on the forefront of everyone's mind. Um, not just for the people that are dealing with mental health, um, problems, but also the people that, that don't because a person going to be having a bad day. Um, and they just, and they could be irritable and they could come at, even if you don't know them, they could say something wrong to you. And then you just are like, you know, looking at them weird, you know, always, always be cognizant or thoughtful of, of others. Okay. Now this took me a long time to figure out that, Hey, the world doesn't revolve around me. Okay. I was an only child. Um, pretty much the favorite of everybody pretty much did what I want. But at the end of the day, like the world didn't revolve around me. It doesn't now as I have found out as I've gotten older and reflected on all of that. So as a, as a society, we really need to understand that, that there, we have people in our lives that are suffering from mental health issues whether they, they're talking about them or not. And we really need to reach out to our friends and our family and check on them. Ask them how they're doing. Even 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 a stranger, a person you don't know, just say hi to them. Give them a smile. Um, that could make a difference just in that moment for their lives. Um, we have, with the mental health, you know, not being a forefront of healthcare or not being the front forefront of our society to help deal with. It's, it's hard. People don't want to talk about it. People don't want to talk about mental health. Even, you know, you talk, you see the athletes that come out and talk about how they have it or they had, you know, we're dealing with depression or anxiety or, you know, they're dealing with all these different things. And they're right. There's, they don't, there's no, there is no, um, uh, basis or there's no support for mental health. Like we don't, we need to, we need to really be putting that more of a, as a forefront. May was mental health awareness month. If anybody didn't know, um, but it just doesn't have to be one month. 
we can be mental have mental health awareness every single month um, because sometimes the mental health problems that people have end up taking their lives and and then we end up losing good people that just didn't know how to they didn't have some they didn't have a support system or <clears throat> they didn't know how to reach out I shouldn't say they didn't have a support system because you know some might not have but they didn't know how to reach out and and uh, tell somebody what they were going through their struggles because we don't like to as people as human beings we don't like to talk about our struggles we only want to talk about the good things and we like to try to sweep everything underneath the rug otherwise our struggles is what makes us who we are um the good things are what makes us happy and if we're struggling in order to get to that happiness that we need we and we don't know how to exert that um you know just someone else taking that time just to talk to that person it would probably would make a huge deal and like i said there you're not going to see all the signs it's not going <coughs> to it's not going to you know come slap you in the face whatnot but just be just be thoughtful just be thoughtful of your actions towards someone else let's get out of negativity in this world and more positivity um because positive there's enough negative is in the society that we should really be uplifting one another to try to offset that so just some food for thought um as always um as i said before thanks for listening i really appreciate you guys um and hey tell someone you love them give give someone a hug um let someone know that that you care about them all right y'all have a great day and i will be back next week hey there sports history fan this is arnie chapman aka the football history dude and i wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the sports history network our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear and if you didn't know it already we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. The Pigskin Tales podcast is all about the lesser-known pro football players. Yes, there are stories about the ones we know, like Brad Tarkenton and Harold Red Grange. But have you ever heard of Ernie Nevers? How about Dave Osborne or even Grady Alderman? These men created their own path to the NFL. How did they do it? Listen to the Pigskin Tales podcast. Now streaming on your favorite music platform. Go to pigskintales.com. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.